fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service, thermal imaging, camera training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partner is Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Sport Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you listen to us, welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force. News and issues for today's first responders. I'm your host, Steve Green. My guests today are two brothers, Chris and Sam Adams of Colorado Springs, Colorado. They're both firefighters and paramedics, and they've recently released a book, Life and Death Matters. They'll be on in just a few moments, right after we take care of a little of our podcast business. If you're a first-time listener, we welcome you and we're glad to have you with us. If you'd like to hear some more of our podcasts after you listen to this one, you can always find them on our website at www.dalmatianproductions.tv. Just click on the word podcast at the top of the page and that will take you to our entire library where you can listen, download, whatever you'd like to do. So welcome and we're happy to have you with us. Also, while you're on our website, if you go to our homepage, you can sign up for our newsletter. We don't send any spam. The newsletter only comes out several times a year. There will be one coming out in just a couple of weeks. And we protect your email address. We do not sell it. We will not give it away under any circumstances unless there's a legal requirement to do so. So we hope you'll sign up for that. If you follow us on Facebook at forward slash prod or forward slash fire. We're glad to have you with us. Please like our page or pages and drop us a line. Let us know what you want to see on the show or hear on the show. Uh, we may be looking to do some video uh, in the very near future, but just be sure to let us know that you're following us on Facebook. And on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever, almost all those platforms have a way for you to rate the podcast and leave a comment. So please, we ask you to please give us a great rating, maybe five stars, and some great comments. And it is very important because that's the way that platform looks at our podcast and where they place us. And therefore, it's important the way other people can find us when they look for us. We hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you really do enjoy it and you want to share it, one of the great ways of sharing this podcast with friends and family and helping a great charity at the same time is to visit our store, online store with our friends from Teespring. We have several t-shirts and hot beverage mugs or cold beverage mugs available for you. 
you just visit the website at bit.ly forward slash Dalmat Store with a capital D on Dalmat and a capital S on Store. And you make sure you just write it as one word, Dalmat Store. And they'll take you to our online store. And remember that whatever you purchase, a significant portion of the net proceeds is being donated to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Very important charity, one of the greatest charities we have to take care of the families and survivors of those firefighters who have paid the ultimate price to carry out their tasks. And we'll always remember them in our heart. And that's it. That's all our business. So you know what? We're going to take our first break, and we'll be back with Chris and Sam Adams right after this. So please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day, and that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training, LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com. Your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 will be the year to do it. Here's part of their upcoming schedule. May 2nd through the 5th, the VCOS Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Instructor Andy Starnes will be speaking on spiritual survival skills for the fire service. All proceeds go to charity. May 8th through 11th, at the West Virginia Public Safety Expo, Insight Training will conduct an eight-hour live fire training event where students will complete various scenario-based objectives. May 17th, a free situational awareness webinar sponsored by FLIR. This free webinar sold out in just six hours. But hold on. Andy and the team will explain the differences between situational awareness thermal imaging cameras and decision-making cameras. Don't worry. This webinar will be repeated on June the 5th with unlimited participant registration for free. May 22nd, Indiana Fire Instructors Association presents a live webinar on the Tactical 360, enhancing a fire ground strategies and tactics from 6.30 p.m. until 9.30 p.m., featuring instructor Andy Starnes. This three-hour course is offered for only $25. Information and registration are found at the following link, http colon forward slash forward slash www.eventbrite.com forward slash e is an echo forward slash tactical dash three six zero dash enhancing dash fireground dash 
strategies-and-tactics-tickets-589423762. If you didn't catch that link, drop an email to downmadprodadoutlook.com and we'll be happy to send it out to you. June 5th, free situational awareness webinar sponsored by FLIR. Watch Insight Training page for the registration link very soon. June 14th, an eight-hour tactical thermal imaging classroom session in North Metro, Colorado. Details to follow. And June 19th through the 23rd, family camp at Black Mountain, North Carolina. Instructor Andy Starnes will be leading fire-based family devotions each day. Insight Training LLC, your best bet for tick training. The Firehouse Tribune, where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path, a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts, will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And again, I'm your host, Steve Green. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, my guest today, I guess, would have to say it's the first time on this show. We're finishing up our, our third year, and yet this is the first time we have a set of twins as our guests today. My guests today are Samuel and Christian Adams, go by Sam and Chris. No, he did not create the beer, so don't send me emails saying, hey, can Sam Adams get me some beer? Okay, it's not going to work. <laughs> They're identical twin brothers. They have over 20 years of experience responding to 9-11 calls. They both love working as firefighter paramedics for the Colorado Springs Fire Department, and they fervently believe in providing the highest quality patient care to the citizens of Colorado Springs. Christian is a nationally registered and Colorado state certified paramedic. He is also certified in RSI, rapid sequence intubation. In 2012, he was honored as the Pridemark Rural Metro Paramedic of the Year for the Denver metro area. Christian was also awarded the Colorado Springs Department Medical Division Paramedic of the Year for 2018 as well. He is trained in his work with the CSFD TEMS, the Tactical EMS Team, and currently functions as a paramedic with the city's high-angle rope rescue team. He also functions as a paramedic preceptor for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. Chris 
has an Associate of Arts degree from the New Mexico Military Institute and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Northern Colorado. When not responding to alarms, his favorite pastime is enjoying the Colorado outdoors with his wife and two sons. Sam Adams is a nationally registered and Colorado state certified paramedic. He is certified through the Colorado Springs Fire Department for RSI, Rapid Sequence Intubation. He started his EMS career working as an EMT basic in the Denver metro area. After going through paramedic school, he worked in the Denver area as a paramedic responding to 911 calls. He is on the Colorado Springs Fire Department TEMS unit, the tactical EMS for the city. His current assignment is as part of the Wildland Firefighting Deployment Team for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. We'll have to touch on that in the in the podcast, too, at some point, gentlemen. In 2017, Sam was named Paramedic of the Year for the Colorado Springs Fire Department. Sam also serves on a paramedic advisory committee for the fire department, which advises the EMS system in Colorado Springs. Sam also works as a paramedic preceptor for the fire department, and he has an Associate of Arts degree from the New Mexico Military Institute and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from the University of Northern Colorado. His time is best spent with his wife, camping in the summers, and being around his two brothers. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's an honor and pleasure to have you with me. Hey, Steve, it's Chris, and it's a great time to be here and an awesome opportunity. Thanks for allowing us to be guests with you today. Well, it's it's hey, my... Steve, I'm sorry. Lot. Go ahead. No, thanks a lot, Steve, for having us on the show. We've been waiting for it for a while, so we really appreciate you taking some time for Good. Us. Well, I'm glad we've been able to schedule it. I know you guys have crazy schedules with all that you're doing, and we finally put this day to day, and we, were, we had, by the grace of God, my internet came back just in time, so... We were able to yeah. proceed as as planned. Um, now, again, folks, I'm going to repeat it again. Sam Adams is a paramedic and firefighter in in Coral, in uh, Colorado Springs. Uh, he is not a beer maker. He does not make beer. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so please don't write to us or to Sam and Chris asking them for a free case. It ain't going to happen, folks. That's that. I wish I- Good, but I don't have that kind of uh, power. Right, right. Neither do I, even with this podcast. I don't. So uh, the reason why I asked uh, the brothers to come on is because they told me about this book that they wrote, which is Life and Death Matters. Now, many of us who have been part, both fire and EMS or just on the EMS side, uh, and even just those of us who are just on fire side, and we didn't want to put go into EMS, but we always wound up working with them on calls and stuff like that, would wonder, well, most of these books are always technical and how to do how to do the intubation and better way to do a 12 lead. And But this book isn't about that. This book is totally different. And it talks about, brings up what they've learned in their lives serving for the time they have as paramedics in the Colorado Springs area. So let's start gentlemen, with, um, here it is, I just put my paper aside. So let's talk about the background. Let's talk about your background a little bit and what led you, you know, your personal backgrounds, what made you guys decide, hey, want to go into, you know, fire rescue EMS, um, and what brought you to where you are today? So, Steve, this, Chris, um, my, my background is no crazy story or uh, wild adventure but i started in ems about a little over 10 years ago now i guess and um i started as a as an emt basic 
and it was actually interesting. I have a good friend who's like a brother to me on this job in Colorado Springs, and he was going to an EMT school, and we were sitting down one day and just talking about some things about the future, what we were go- going to do. And he said, he mentioned the EMT school to me. And I said, man, that sounds like a pretty uh, interesting endeavor. And so I looked into it a little bit more and Sam and I both and um, ended up going to EMT school and just was fascinated by this whole concept of emergency responders. And it was interesting. The learning curve is pretty high. Sometimes I had never even really considered what an EMT was or really what even firefighters were, what sort of level of training they had. And I had no concept of what a paramedic was years ago. And so as I, yeah. And so as I went to school, I really started to take a great passion for it. And then I was fortunate enough to get onto a private ambulance company in the Denver area, running some 911 calls in the Metro area up there. Um, But I started off as a, as a uh, wheelchair driver doing wheelchair transports, inter-facility type things. Sure. And that's, and, you know, I think a lot of us probably have started off in, in that capacity at some point in our careers. And I think that that's an important step in some people's transition because it really gives you a, a strong foundation of interpersonal skills, being able to comfortably talk to people, talk to patients, in a very low acuity setting and it really develops your communication abilities and also your sort of decision making as it relates to how you're going to get to the patient here or there or what time you need to show up and what you have to do to prepare for the day and so it really starts to develop this um, sort of fundamental concepts that we as paramedics and firefighters and first responders must have to be really successful. So anyhow, I I did that for a few months and then I got onto our um, BLS inter-facility transport unit, which was sort of an ambulance, but with no paramedic. And we were more strictly doing low acuity uh, BLS transfers that required an ambulance or a, a gurney or a cot you know Mm -hmm. and then and then after that i went through our field instruction process for our 911 system and that took several several weeks and then after being cleared on that i remember i remember my first emergent what we call the emergent return you know to the hospital from the from the scene and it was so it it was so fascinating to watch my paramedic work in the back of the ambulance. I was in the back with him, mm-hmm. and we went on, we went on this really terrible traffic accident that was a drunk driving incident and really injured this poor man on his way home from work. You know how they all are tragic stories, but right. um, so we ended up extricating this gentleman. And I remember watching my paramedic just go to work and he was such a great um, operator and he did things with such extreme confidence and purpose. And I 
sat back and I watched with such awe at how precise he was with what he was doing. And it, it dawned on me. I said, I am going to be a paramedic. This is, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do because it was so impressive to watch somebody operate in such a high stress situation, but be, but being so confident, even despite all of the unknowns and despite all of the chaos that's going on around, he had such a um, conviction that he was going to operate with this patient and, and how he was going to conduct himself. And that patient ended up living and it was real testament to the, the beginning of my career as a paramedic. And then, so I went on to paramedic school and, and was fortunate enough to up work as a paramedic in that system for several years. So then fast forward a, a little bit to, Colorado Springs in the fire department here, we, um, several years ago, we had a large wildland fire in the city and it was called the Waldo Canyon fire. Well, this fire was started a, a few canyons back from the foothills that Colorado sits at the base of. Well, what had happened is the, the fire blew into the city and began burning into the city and lots of homes were destroyed. Well, when we were, when we were in Denver on the ambulance, we came down into the city to supplement the 911 system and, and render whatever sort of help we could or aid that we could during that incident. And I remember the moment when I was sitting at this, we had a kind of like a, I guess a deployment post or however you want to call it. We were all staged kind of in the staging area. Right. I remember watching these firefighters for the Colorado Springs fire department and they were pulling 96 hour shifts and they were so, it was so impressive to watch their, their resolve and their conviction to act and what they were going to, do to protect this city and the teamwork that was involved in this massive orchestrated effort to protect the citizens of the city and to do it with a with a graceful ease and a and a sense of honor and duty and teamwork and i remember sitting there watching these these firefighters go up the mountain into the flames and I was like, this, it was, it was almost like that other moment where I was talking about the becoming a paramedic. It dawned on me again. And I said, I'm going to be a part of this team. These, these folks really have a special commitment to what they're doing. And it was fascinating to watch them go to work. And I remember thinking to myself, I've got to be a part of this team. I want to contribute to this sort of team. And it was, I was fortunate enough to get hired on with, Colorado Springs fire. And so I'm from Colorado Springs and it was a real honor to be able to kind of be a servant of the Springs and sort of contribute to the team in that respect. Sam and I grew up in this team, team world. We've played sports and everything that we did growing up. And so being a part of a team was always a joy for me. And I think Sam as well, but it's been a, it's been a great ride. And that was sort of a quick 
background to where I am today. And now I've been on the department for several years and have gone into some specialties, but it's been, uh, it's been a fun ride so far. And we're definitely looking forward to the next several years. Well, that's great. And I think, I think the vast majority of us uh, who are first responders, no matter the branch or if we, if we cross over a branch like we do fire and paramedicine, we really do come away with this great feeling of, of the job we do, uh, even though some of the jobs don't turn out, don't have the results that we would hope and pray for. But we know that's, part of, that's also part of the work that we do. And to know that we get, there are very few that I can remember in all the years that I've been involved in the fire service. Now, this goes back to 77. Meeting anyone who ever really said to me, I hated my work. I can't remember anyone in fire, yeah. rescue, EMS, whoever said I didn't, didn't like what I was doing, but I did it for 25 years. Well, then I get, you know what? I think. I think you did have a connection to it, whether you want to admit that you liked it or, or not. That's you make that choice internally. But as an outsider, and you telling me about yourself and all these calls you went on and something like that, it sure sounds like to me that you you liked it. So I'm glad to hear that not only what you said, but the fact that you're giving back to their, your own community. Yeah, it's really it's a, it's a real privilege. I think you know there's yeah. a few. A, it, a few things that we love doing, you know, and being able to serve the community that you grew up in is, is I think it's a privilege. So I actually, the fire station that I work at is on the West side of Colorado Springs. And I grew up on the West side of Colorado Springs and it's pretty awesome to, to be a part of that. There you go. That says it all. That's true. All right. So uh, Sam, what about you? Yes. You know, my story's not all that different. I was in the first EMT class with Chris. He kind of dragged me to it. <laughs> and he's always kind of motivated me to be better. And he was the one that kind of said, hey, this is this is what I'm going to do. And, and I think you'd like it, too. And so I remember going to it and sitting down. And like Chris said, I guess I didn't really understand what 911 was. Uh, I didn't understand what an EMT was or a paramedic or what the fire department was. I had this understanding that the fire department fights fires, obviously, but I didn't know what all that meant and what all they do. And so I did this EMT class with Chris and then uh, went and got hired with the same ambulance company up in Denver and I was fortunate enough to only have about a week's long worth of uh, of uh, paratransit duty on the uh, paratransit van. And but, you know, I think Chris is right, because I think that does kind of start to build some of your own decision making process. And it causes you to have to solve problems when you're by yourself in a wheelchair van. Right. And you know, it just, you have to solve problems. And I remember vividly, I remember sitting in downtown Denver, cause this is before we had iPhones, okay. you know, where you could just Google maps, everything. Sure. And I remember vividly sitting in downtown Denver traffic on one of the streets down there praying for red lights because I had a patient in the back and I had the map book in my <laughs> lap 
And I was praying for red lights so that I could just hit a red light, look at the map, look, and try to figure out where I was going. And I remember that vividly. Like, it was yesterday. That's a great and story. I was just like, you know? And so, but you make it through, you problem solve, you you figure out what you got to do. And then, so then I went to the same thing. I went to a BLS ambulance and did a bunch of inter-facility transports. And that lasted, that was only a couple months. And then went to the 911 side. And I remember, you know, the first few calls that we went on, it was just a blur. I just don't really remember what happened because it was so different. I remember a couple of the specific calls, but in general, everything was such a blur because it just goes so fast because you're, you're not really capable of seeing everything that's going on because you're so new and everything just moves so quickly. So I did that for, for a little while and then um, went to paramedic school. I actually went, I didn't get accepted to paramedic school with Chris. I just didn't pass the test. I wasn't able to go with Chris. So I was actually a year behind him and I went to medic school the year after. Mm-hmm. Then I, what really got me interested in the fire department, because I had been running 911 calls in Denver with the, with a couple departments up there what got me interested with really wanting to be a firefighter was I was fortunate enough to do my paramedic internship in Colorado Springs. And I knew that I knew the Denver Metro protocols. I knew what we were doing up there and I wanted to try to expose myself to something different and something new and try to extend my bandwidth a little bit. Mm -hmm. So I had asked the school, I said, Hey, do you, can I do my rides in a different city? Can I do my rides in Colorado Springs, which is a little bit different. And they, they fortunately said yes. And I was one of the first students to do that from that school in Denver. And so I came down here and did my, I did about 420 hours of my 500 hours down here in Colorado Springs. And that's when it dawned on me that I wanted to be a member with Colorado Springs fire. And I had run, thousands and thousands of calls up in Denver. And then when I got exposed to the CSFD down here, I was just, I knew that that was something that I needed to do and wanted to be a part of the way that they conducted themselves on medical calls was second to none and their level of professionalism and teamwork and the way that they integrated me as a student into the team and the way they integrated me into patient care and treatment plan and helped me execute my treatment plans the way that I saw fit. And they were so willing to help me grow as a student. And I thought to myself, well, if they're going to be this awesome on medical scenes, how much better they are they going to be a fighting fire? Right. I'm like, if they're this good on a, on a chest painter, you know, they know how to put out a fire. Right. And that's something I want to be a part of. And so I went back to Denver and uh, worked for several years as a medic up in Denver and then um, was fortunate enough and tested with the Springs and got on down here. Went through the fire academy, got through probation and everything, um, and then got promoted as a medic and then started precepting people. And kind of that's that's where it went from there. And I've been on the job like Chris for, for uh, about five years now. And so I've kind of gotten into a couple different specialties 
and like with our TENS team, our uh, SWAT medic team, and that's been really fun. I really enjoy doing that. And then um, working with the wildland team has been a lot of fun. And then we do, my brother and I both do a lot of precepting for the uh, new paramedics that they have coming up. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my background. Well, that's, and that, that's how I got to EMS and the fire service. You know, that's great because you're both paying it forward and you're paying it forward within your own community. And so there's no better way. Now, one of the things you both mentioned, you said you went on from when you're doing your paratransit work and you were trying to segue over, but you said you both went to the 911 side. Did that mean that you went to the 911 call center and you had to learn to work there too? Or you just meant that you went to the emergency call section of work? Yeah. So we had it the way that the private ambulance companies work here in Colorado anyway Mm -hmm. was you had the you had the paratransit van, which was the wheelchair van, and it was just by yourself. Right. And you would take people to the eye doctor or people to the foot doctor or whatever they needed. That mm-hmm. was pretty low acuity. They just needed a wheelchair to get there. Right. And then by yourself. And then you would graduate from that to the BLS ambulance, which was two EMT basics. And you would do interfacility. And this is all within the same company. Mm-hmm. And you would do interfacility transports, like you would take um, hospice patients, and you would take low acuity patients that needed to go to their chemotherapy, or they needed to go to their dialysis appointment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was kind of, to be honest with you, that was a really humbling experience for me, because I was never around... I had never been around really sick people. And when you're running a BLS ambulance with two EMT basics, that's all you see is really sick patients that are going to chemotherapy for their cancer. They're going home to hospice. I mean, I remember vividly taking nine-year-old children home for hospice care. Mm -hmm. And that's something that will really burn into your brain taking a nine-year-old boy because he's got cancer going home for hospice and it it really kind of cemented to me that i just want to try to help people and do the best that i can and use the god-given gifts that i have to try to better people's lives whether that's innovating them or just talking to them Mm -hmm. and in their time of need you know because you know as well as i do that Sometimes that's really what we need to do is just have good communication with people and good interpersonal skills. Absolutely. And I think, so that's what the BLS ambulance transports were. And that really kind of helped me understand and it humbled me that really what we do is just try to help people, try to be there for people in their time of need and try to provide some sort of um, condolence for them. And it was a lot of, it wasn't fun to be a part of because you saw so much, so much pain and suffering, but it was almost needed for me anyway. And I think that really helped develop my understanding of what we do. And then after that, after I did that for probably, I don't know, maybe six months, doing about 10 transports a day, then we, then you would go to what they call the field instruction clearing process. And then it would clear you 
to be able to run 911 calls because we our ambulance had a contract with several local cities in I Denver okay. that we provided we provided the 911 service to we provided the paramedics and the 911 service to so then we would run a paramedic and an EMT on the 911 ambulance for those cities and we covered about 200 250,000 people probably and you would get cleared to run 911 and then you were no longer on a BLS car you would be on the 911 ambulance car right, and right. then did that for several years and then went to medic school but it was all within the same company right right now does Colorado Springs fire do they run their own ambulances or is that third party Right now, that's third party. We have a uh, contract with a private ambulance company out here that does that. All um, right, so you guys respond so, on the call as a first responder or, or paramedic engine? Yep. Yeah, yeah okay. all of our engine companies have paramedics on them. And then uh, depending on who the officers are on the trucks, sometimes we have pro-pay officers on the trucks that function as both a paramedic and an officer. And so quite a few of our truck companies will have paramedics on them also. Right. And right. then, um, but all of the engine companies do. And then we transfer care over to the private ambulance sure. company. Um, or if needed, then we just ride in with the private ambulance yeah. company to the well, hospital. I used to do the same thing in the department up in, uh, outside of Syracuse, New York. All right. Well, that's a great, great background you've laid out for us. Probably one question that's, that's going to come up is going to be how do two brothers, twin brothers, nevertheless, uh, agree to spend so much good time together without tearing each other <laughs> apart? Uh, I'm in the middle of three yeah. boys. I have an older brother who's five years older and a younger brother's two and a half years older. And, I mean, when it was three of us in the house, we would always in each other's hair or each other's business. And uh, once my older brother left, then it was just me and my, my, my younger brother. And, uh, hmm. Okay, well, we won't go. We won't go any beyond that. But oh, it's great. I, I really, I, I really commend you guys. That hey, Steve. Real, yeah. real quick, I wanted to mention something. Sure. To everybody out there, I think it's Sam really hit hit on a few points that I completely agree with. And when we talk about developing ourselves and becoming professionals and successful at our jobs. Don't be so quick, I think, to be the be the best or be the be the ultimate um, paramedic or ultimate firefighter initially. Exactly. I understand that that's definitely the goal, right? But in some ways, I think that the importance of developing a good foundation can be lost on people. Mm-hmm. And when Sam talks about when Sam talks about the, the paratransit wheelchair transports and the BLS transports, you're gaining a foundation that is going to serve you for the rest of your career. And I think it's really important. And I'm not saying that the ones that don't do that aren't successful because they certainly are successful, but to those that are in those positions now, take advantage of that moment, take advantage of the, autonomy that you have to make those decisions and take advantage of the patient care that you can provide to those people and develop your process, become a professional and treat people at the best that you can, given the situation that you're in. I always think back, I have two, two calls that I think back to 
that will always be ingrained in my head. And both of those calls were on BLS hospice transport transports from a hospital from the hospital to a home. And I will never forget those calls. And it had nothing to do with a high acuity EMS emergency scene. It had nothing to do with a with a ripping structure fire, which we all enjoy going on. And just to clarify, I don't none of us mean we enjoy going on those calls because right. of the tragedy that surrounds them for the people involved. We understand that some of these tragic events are going to happen. And we want to be there to serve those who are the victims of that tragedy. Exactly. And so, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so Absolutely. I just want to, I just want to encourage and motivate any listeners out there that are in that position where they're feeling a little bit under motivated because they're going out on these BLS transfers or they're just kind of operating in that low acuity world, your time will come. Take a moment and really take advantage of the opportunity in front of you because you won't get it back. And I'm here to tell you that some of the best calls that I've ever been a part of and been privileged to be on have been on those low acuity calls. And so I just wanted to make a quick mention of that. Good. I think that's a great point that you brought up. And uh, I think many of us have, have seen that once we started out. I remember when I first became an EMT firefighter uh, in my volunteer department in North Carolina, we had a nursing home uh, right in a mile from the station. And we used to get what's called the slug calls. Most of the guys didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to jump on the, the old, our old rescue to ride up there and meet the ambulance. If I was at the station, I jumped on board. I want to go on every call I possibly could to learn. I've always been an, yeah. edu- I've always been an educator. That's been my, that was my job, uh, education and administration. But I wanted to learn. And so I went yeah. on every call. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care who was involved. I didn't care who else was going. I just knew that if I was at the firehouse or I could drive down because it was only a half mile from my, my apartment, I wanted to be on the call because I want to gain experience to be a better person as, as what my life was becoming. Uh, even though it was a volunteer, I want to be a better volunteer at the job. And the only way I could do that is to take advantage of every learning opportunity that came my way. And those calls, as you just said, were exactly established that, that, the, uh, that foundation taught me how to talk to people who aren't feeling well, taught me, right. taught me how to talk to people who are lonely, didn't have their family anymore, and they were by themselves in that nursing home. And all of a sudden, we're a new face, and it brings a smile to their face. So you talk to them and you tell them stories about when you were a kid or calls you were on. Or they tell, you ask them, tell me about your children and where do they live. If you can do that on those calls, then and you make yourself, it's not just you're not just throwing the patient a penny. You're actually showing them that you are caring and concerned about them. That's going to serve you so well in your career. It will. Later Absolutely. years. Now. I agree. Yeah, without a I, doubt. I think there's I think you're completely right, Steve. I think that that is hits the nail on the head, man. Exactly. If you can't do that, then then what are you doing running nine one one calls, man? That's it. I yeah. I totally agree with you, man. 
Yep. It, it's it, while we think though it's all about the smoke and the flames and a big rescue and the winding up the queue. The fact is, is as our great late leader, Chief Pronacini, taught us, our job is to take care of Mrs. Smith on her worst day, even if yeah. her, even if her worst day is her cat up a tree. And if we yeah. if we live with that philosophy that Chief Bruno taught us, then we can all be great firefighter, paramedics, rescuers, whatever. We can always be great I ones. Think when we move forward, I think one of the greatest precepts in life is this. In any re- profession or any discipline, whether you're a firefighter or a paramedic or a first responder or even outside of the EMS world, I think that one of the most important things that we can do is ease the, ease the burden of our fellow person. Yep. Ease the burden, ease the suffering. To whatever extent we're able to do that, if we all contribute and we all try and help each other out and ease the suffering of one another, then collectively we become better off. We become more successful. And so especially in the world of the firefighter, especially in the world of the paramedic, if you operate with the intention of easing the, the burden of others and, and somehow trying to ease the suffering that they're experiencing at that moment, it'll serve you well in your career. And I can tell you firsthand that there is nothing better than putting a smile on a face that needs a smile, mm-hmm. you know? Very true. Well, I think, what, I think what's cool too about that attitude is that really what you're also doing is unintentionally maybe is you're building teamwork and you're building leadership qualities. Because what happens is that if you're not capable, if, if you're on a double company firehouse and you've got eight, nine guys around you, what sort of confidence will they have that if they go down in a fire, what sort of confidence will they have that you are going to be there for them if you can't even be there for Granny Smith at 2 o'clock in the morning? That's it. And I think that I know that I want the guys and the gals that I work with who are amazing firefighters and amazing responders, the, the people that I work with, I love to death, all 460 of them or so. And I want them to know that if something happens and they, and they know that I'm coming, that I will handle what's going to happen. And I think that the way that you do that is by providing the layman with high quality patient care and caring in every call you go on. And it's demonstrated by how you care about Granny Smith at two o'clock in the morning. It's a demonstration of how you will take care of your own crewmate when they go down. Absolutely. And I think it builds teamwork and it builds confidence in your team that you will take care of them. And it builds good leadership qualities because they recognize that when you are discussing something with them, that you care about them. So I think it goes a lot further than, I think there's a lot more to it, you know, and I think there's a lot, a lot that we can always be learning. Very true. With how we treat people. Absolutely. Absolutely. We see that. And and like you said, maybe 
if more people did that, even if you're not a paramedic or a firefighter or a police officer or a first responder in any way, but you're just a person and you want to you help out somebody else, that helps build the society. That helps create a society where people learn to trust each other, turn to each other when they need help. You have small communities across this country that do that all the time because it's just part of their nature. It's a small community, maybe 1,200 people, 1,500 people. Everybody knows everybody else's business. Yeah, that might be a little bit of a downer, but everybody's there to help somebody when somebody gets sick or there's an emergency. Everybody in that community usually comes around to pitch in one way or another. And if we do that in our communities, we can turn a good part of this country around and cre- show a society that others will envy. Because right now, Absolutely. right now, we're not, we're not that. I'm sorry, yeah, go ahead. You're right. I think you're right, man. I completely agree with you. Great. Okay. One of the things, that, one of the things and this might be jumping into the next section a little bit, but one of the things as a preceptor that I tell people we, we, we have these words like sick or not sick. And I think when I precept somebody, I, I have a specific way of explaining that to people, mm-hmm. but there's this common idea that people want to determine whether or not we as first responders should be there, right? Well, does this person really need an ambulance or does this person really need to go to the hospital or are they really that sick? And what I say to people is that's irrelevant. You're wasting your time trying to figure that stuff out. You're wasting your brain cells trying to determine whether or not they need an ambulance. It's irrelevant because you're standing in the room. They've called you. It doesn't matter what your personal opinions are about the situation or the call. You have to begin treatment and you have to begin taking care of them and you have to begin sort of with your methods and your decision-making implementation of how you're going to solve their problems. Don't become so consumed with figuring out whether or not they're going to, they, they need the ambulance or the hospital ride, not the hospital ride, the ambulance ride to the hospital. But I think that it's important that we realize that in a, for a large percentage of the population a large percentage of the calls that we run on you have to really apply yourself as a servant to those who whom have called you you know exactly that's what we are we're public servants that's it that's that's who we are and what we do great point great point all right we're going to take a break here folks and when we come back with chris and sam we're going to talk about their book life and death matters we're going to talk about how the idea came about, what was their, what were their goals in writing this book, what was the purpose. So we'll be right back with Chris and Sam Adams right after these words. Please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lane, and head for the open front door, where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. 
You crouch low and make your way inside, your trusty SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. No matter where we live, or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes, and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief, wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again and Cool Towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your Cool Towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your Cool Towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your Cool Towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make Cool Towel your answer to keeping cool. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke, fire, and carbon monoxide detectors. You've even practiced Edith drills with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Fire Safety Team, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And joining me today are my guests, two twin, two brothers who happen to be twins. I was going to say twin brothers, two twin brothers. No, two brothers who happen to be twins, Chris and Sam Adams. We've already cleared the air that Sam has nothing to do with the beer. So no asking, <laughs> yeah. no requests. But the question, the question I do want to ask is, which one of you is the older twin? Well, that'd be me, Sam. I'm older by one minute. And I guessed wrong. I guessed, guess wrong. I guessed Chris. Well, yeah, 50-50 shot, you yeah. know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's held, that, he's held that over my head our entire life, you know? It's I'm sure. Been a real burden for me. When you came in the nursery, he probably said, yeah, 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 yeah. I came out first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the great thing, though, it, for for everybody out there that knows about the fire service, seniority is a, is a big deal, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Well, I was on the job a year before Sam was. So 
I have the seniority. I have the <laughs> ultimate bid number. I have the ultimate vacation pick over Sam any day. There you go. Well, that's true. That's true. I had uh, a year less on the job and got paramedic of the year a year earlier. So that should <laughs> tell you guys something there. Okay. All right. All right. See, here we go. And the competition is on. All right. So now we're going to talk with Chris and Sam about the book. Now, as I said at the beginning of the show, paramedics, this is not the first time paramedics have written books, paramedic firefighters. There are lots of them out there. My book is out there, which is not about the, the, uh, the service itself. It's about how I wound up being a firefighter from a guy who had no intention of it ever happening. But their book is integral to our talk today about what they do who we are as firefighters and paramedics, those of us who are paramedics, firefighters, EMTs, same thing. You're an EMT, you're a firefighter, you're a paramedic. We're all doing the same basic job, which is taking care of others. And their book is called Life and Death Matters. So, Sam, we're going to start with you this time around. What, how did this come about? How did you and Chris come up with the idea of writing this book, and what were you looking to, to accomplish? Well, um, so it kind of started for me back in probably late 2016, early 2017. And I had been thinking about writing some notes down and I'd been training a couple people, just precepting them. Our, our field instruction process is called blue book here at uh, Colorado Springs. And so we've been going through a couple things with some students and blue booking some people. And I was trying to create a, a, a method that is reproducible and is effective for people and so i was just trying to write down a couple things that i was doing and it really didn't hit me i was kind of thinking about writing a book about what to do and how to precept people and what we really do as paramedics and and, um, firefighters right and really hit me one night back in 2006 17 late 2017 i ran a call i was training a guy ran a call with him that went that was just a really bad call and uh, really sick patient and the patient turned out okay but what had happened was the person i was training was upset about some of the decisions that they had made and, and how things went and they were upset with themselves not because of the they didn't understand clinically what was happening with the patient as far as, you know, whether it was a seizure patient or a respiratory patient, cardiac patient, whatever they, they understood clinically what was taking place, but they lacked the decisiveness to act and lacked the confidence and the conviction to make those decisions. Mm -hmm. And that was something we had been working on extensively. And so he was a little bit disappointed about that. And then, he was disappointed that he had let me down and it kind of dawned on me that what we're really doing is not, we're not instructing people, we're mentoring people. Right. And it's an, it's an apprenticeship and we're trying to help people grow in their abilities as paramedics specifically for, for what I was doing. And so then I, was like, you know, I should write down really what it is that I think about this and what it is that I try to do for people when I'm training them and what my thought process is and what my mentality is when it comes to running a call. So I started 
off. I really had no idea what I was doing. And I just started writing some stuff down. I had no organization to it, really. I, I wrote a basic outline of maybe what I wanted to convey on paper and started writing it, writing it down. And I had about, I had probably 10 or 15,000 words down and I came to Chris and I said, Hey, you know, is this something that's valuable? Do you think that people would enjoy this? Do you think it would help people? And he read it and, um, he really liked it. And, and so then we decided at that point to really collaborate on what it was because he brings another dimension to what it, to kind of what I wanted to do. He brought a whole other dimension to it that really helped me uh, write a better book with him involved. And so that's kind of how it started. I didn't really know what it was going to look like. We thought initially it was going to be a little pamphlet, you know, maybe 30 pages long, not a, you know, 60,000 word book. And so it really morphed into that. And that's kind of how it started. Um, just trying to, trying to help people better understand what it is that we do. And, and since then, I've kind of developed this idea that I've been teaching some guys about and that I kind of have cemented for myself is this idea of what I call like, I call it the 90-10 rule, where really what we do is 90% decision-making and 10% clinical. And it's that it's there's that much disparity between the two because we run calls where we need to make decisions on every single call you go on. It doesn't matter what the call is necessarily. You have to make decisions. You have to make decisions whether or not they're a patient. You have to make a decision whether or not you're going to do a refusal. You have to make a decision whether or not they're, uh, it's going to be a not needed with contact, what their vital signs are. You have to make a decision with, how does that vital sign uh, correlate with what they what the patient presentation is and what you know clinically to be correlated with the patient presentation with what is correlated with what their complaint is you have to make a decision about what your treatment plan is you have to make a decision on how you're going to execute that treatment plan how to delegate that treatment plan how to lead your team through that treatment plan and so i really kind of uh, cemented this idea of the 90-10 rule because really what we do is decision making, and we're not we're not oncologists. An oncologist needs to have all of this information of clinical understanding of specific molecular cells and at the molecular level and the cellular level of what's going on with somebody to make a good decision on what treatment they need. And that's not what we do. It's just not. And so I think that we obviously make decisions and we see very sick patients routinely and intervene on them. And we're able to see, you know, we're able to help sick respiratory patients and sick cardiac patients and trauma patients and septic patients and all these different people. But we're not doing it at the level that an oncologist performs and needs to understand that stuff. And so we're making decisions that they never have to make. And so I think that I've really tried to create an idea that what we do is make decisions. You need to make good decisions. You need to understand how you come to the conclusions that you come to. How do you interpret information? 
how do you categorize that inf- information, then prioritize it, and then execute. And so really we do that on every call we go on. And so I wanted to try to create something that could benefit people and give them something else to look at and develop within themselves for their, their own growth. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I think that paramedics can go online, they can go on YouTube all day long and look up capnography or all day long and look up 12 leads and what scarbosis criteria is and what left bundle branch blocks are. And that stuff is extremely important. It's, it's, it's the number one most important thing, but it's not the only thing. And so I think that if you develop a, 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 what we call an integrated approach to pre-hospital care, which is what we've laid out in the book, that you're going to be better off. It's going to show you that there's other things you need to develop other than understanding the PR interval of your 12 lead. And just like we were talking about in the last segment, taking care of people, you have to develop interpersonal skills. You have to develop teamwork. You have to develop communication skills. You have to develop leadership skills and delegation skills. Then you have to develop decision-making skills. And how do those things integrate with your clinical understanding? And so that's kind of what we've tried to develop is how do you integrate your clinical understanding with delegating tasks to your teammates in a very effective and efficient way? And that's what the book really is about. And that's what started it. And that's why we wanted to write it was to try to give people a different, a different way of looking at the same calls that we go on. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, that is true. I think, you know, I agree with Sam with all that he said. And I think that one of the cool things about our book is that it's a, it's a, gives you a process by which to begin making decisions, a process by which to kind of evaluate your own professionalism. The subtitle of the book is professionalism and decision-making for the first responder. And so what we did was most of the literature out there as it relates to EMS is really concerned with the didactic understanding of medical principles and you can't just be consumed with that. You have to understand that there's other important principles that have to be developed within each responder and also within the team. And so when you go out the door, you're more prepared to meet the needs of the specific patient or the needs of the specific call. Sam was touching on it. So, so anyhow, we, we have this idea in our book of this integrated understanding of pre-hospital emergency medicine. And we integrate three important concepts and that's obviously the medical knowledge. You have to have a foundational medical knowledge. You also have to develop professional attributes and professional behavior. What we always talk about in the fire service and in EMS, these specific principles like integrity or accountability or ownership. 
But what does that actually mean when it's applied to the first responder? What does that actually look like? And so we go through that and we talk about that in the book. And then we integrate with those two things, the idea of decision making. How do you make a decision? Why is it so important to reflect on the decisions that you made so that you can be better prepared to make future decisions? And so that's really what we sort of tried to incorporate within the book is this integrated understanding. And the book does not include things of a paramedic nature. It's not, it's not a book on medicine. Right. It's a book on personal conduct. It's a book on professionalism and decision-making, really. And so that was one of the things that began the inception of the book was we wanted to get away from this idea that everything is so should be so focused on medical principles because all the literature out there, like Sam said, you can look up a million hours a day how to read a 12 lead, right? Or how to sure. look at capnography or even in the fire service, you can look up all the, all of the fire related material and fire related knowledge, but you have to be able to develop yourself professionally and figure out how you're going to make decisions and interpret that information. And so that was one of the biggest things in the, the, what we were trying to accomplish with this book. And I think that we, at the end of the day, put out a pretty good product for people to be able to have a sort of a framework for success. Well, you know, the dedication and the, the forethought that you gave to this book sounds like something that I, I don't think I could say that I've seen before in our genre of, of books and, and publications. And you, you just really highlighted at the end when you said this book does not talk about paramedi- paramedicine. It, we're not talking about, like you said, how to read the 12 lead, you know, how to how to do this, that it's about what we do and the how we do it as people, not as paramedics or as firefighters. We're not talking about flow and vent and we're not talking about reading smoke. We're talking about how do we act and do the job that we have chosen to do and do it to the best of our ability. Yeah. And that's why this book is so unique. You, I, I think you're right. Steve, we looked around and we looked, had a lot of time trying to find a book that was similar to this. And there's not one. Mm-hmm. There's not a book out there that you could find that addresses the importance of professional development. Right. As it relates to the first responder, you, you just don't see it. And so that was the catalyst for us. One of the catalysts for us writing it, Sam and I precept lots of folks. And I love being a preceptor. That's one of the great privileges, I think, of being a paramedic or even a first responder in, in any capacity is the idea of precepting people because you really get to mold somebody and help them determine their decision-making process and really watch them grow as a responder and an individual. But we can't be as preceptors we have to understand that you you have to develop that person it's not about grilling them with specific information and specific knowledge obviously we have to do that to some degree but and 
verify that they understand these medical principles, but we have to develop them as responders and develop them as people so that they're more equipped to go out the door and function independently or function within that team dynamic and lead a team. And so I think that that's one of the things that our book really impresses upon people. And that's why it's so unique. I think it is. I, I agree with you. I'm at your Amazon page for the book, and I'm looking some of the the lines, which I've always liked to do when I look at my book page, is customers who bought this item also bought. And I'm looking at some of the other items that are listed on your page. Your book is far and above what these books are. It, it's just, it's a totally different, there's really no, I don't see that connection between the rest of these books and what we're talking about here, because you're not laying out steps to follow to do this or to do that, perform this function or to read, read this result. You're talking about the basic blood and guts of what it takes to do this job. And with your hints and, and recommendations on the best way to do it and to prepare yourself Along those lines. Now, again, I may be wrong. I'm speaking because I did not have a chance to to read it in advance. But from our discussion, and then looking here on this as a comparative on your page on Amazon, I, I really think that this is very unique as far as first responder books go, because you're not trying to say that I know how to do everything and I'm going to teach that to you. You're saying, boy, we learned a lesson, and we like to pass it on, so that. Maybe it'll help you in your career as you grow and and build that career and that profession for yourself. And that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I think that what we're trying to do is really show you that we don't know everything. And so you need to study harder yeah, and make sure know. that you learn so that you're prepared to go meet the challenges that our first responders all over the country meet every day. Right, and so I think. Don't be, I'm sorry. I was yeah, just don't gonna, be arrogant about. Don't be arrogant about going out the door thinking you're just gonna be able to handle everything because you know what a left bundle branch block is. It's like why don't there's more to it, and try to develop some of those other skill sets. Right, right. So I see the the book was published in December. So how is how is the first four months of pub, of, of having the published work out there? How's how have the first four months gone for you? Well, it's gone really well. We've been uh, fortunate to be guests on quite a few different podcasts now. And so that's been really good. And that's helped kind of get the word out a little bit. But it's been really well. It's been well received. We've gotten a lot of different emails from people telling us that it's helped them out. We've had a couple people tell us, you know, this was really their, the missing link that they needed to solidify what it is that they do as a, as a paramedic. And I think that it helps people validate their own belief system that there is more. And I think what Chris and I did is articulate what that more is. And I think paramedics and first responders all over, all over the country understand that, yeah, we need to know these medical principles and know this stuff, but there's got to be more to it than that. And so we articulated it in a way that is really digestible and people have 
been coming out of the woodwork to tell us that, that they really enjoy our book and that they have really been impacted by it. And it's given them a whole nother way of looking at calls that they go on and how to operate on calls they go on and how to make good decisions for people and how to have a really good mentality with who you're dealing with and develop your teamwork. So it's been really well received from what we know. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So we talk to people about it uh, quite regularly. So. All right. You know what? I I, I have to apologize because I actually crossed us the topic over into our third our third segment by asking you the re, you know what are the results and I apologize for bringing that on too soon, so let's let's take a break here now that we've established the book and when we come back let's go a little bit more into some of the emails and some of the comments you've received whether it's from locally from your friends who have read the book you know they're in, both in the Colorado Springs Denver greater Denver Colorado Springs area or from people around the country or even if it's somebody bought it from outside the U.S. and they're in their comments that they have. So we'll be right back with more with Chris and Sam Adams right after these words. Please stand by. You are listening to Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. Okay, so five tacos of cheese and a large soda, that's $10,012. Please drive around. Wait, 10,000 what? It's obvious you're buzzed and driving. I've only had a few, I'm fine. Yeah, the food's 12 bucks, but getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Please drive around. Actually, just park and come in. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Cancer. Nobody likes to hear that word. However, as firefighters, that word sure likes us. Here are a couple of facts. One, did you know that among average adults in the U.S., the cancer rate is approximately 20% in a given year? The rate for us, over 60%. Number two, when you don't wear your full PPE, especially during overhaul, due to the heat and sweat, your uncovered skin pores are wide open, and all those carcinogens in the soot and smoke love to dive right in. Number three, Not only is the rate of cancer higher in firefighters, but we get all types of weird forms of cancer. Number four, when you don't clean or change your PPE and your uniform and you don't decon or grab a strong shower afterward, you're dragging all that cancer crap with you everywhere you go. The bays, the day room, your vehicle, even your home. Listen, our job is tough enough and we have enough to worry about. Don't let cancer get in your way. Talk to your officers and your chief, your fire surgeon or your personal physician. Learn what you can do to reduce your chances of dealing with a firefighter relating cancer. Beat cancer before it beats you. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alum Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And my guests today are two brothers, who are twins, Chris and Sam Adams. They are firefighter paramedics with the Colorado Springs Fire Department. As a matter of fact, the, the city I live in is Coral Springs, so I deal with CSFD all the time because 
Coral Springs Fire Department. There you go. Right. So when I was reading the bios, that's where I kept tripping over. Because every time I saw a CSFD, I started to say Coral Springs. Coral Springs. Yeah. Colorado Springs. So when we left the end of uh, the second segment, folks, we were talking about, we had just gone on to the point with some of the reaction to their book from people they know. And I went on their, I went on their Amazon page. I want to tell you, I'm not going to read you the, the reviews themselves. I'm going to read you the, the headline of the review, some of these reviews, okay, from one person. A must-read for brand-new and seasoned paramedics. A must-read for anyone. Excellent read. Get a copy. This, all in caps, is what has been missing from paramedicine. Next, when seconds count, you want these guys on your side. Next, the how-to blueprint to becoming a more professional first responder. Next, a good read for new and seasoned providers. Next, written by men who know. There are a couple more that are coming up here. Great book, great read. You know what? When authors have these kind of comments, 13 reviews, all five stars. I'll tell you what, my book's been out for over three years, and I haven't had... (laughs) <laughs> I don't have anything close like that. It's such an honor to sit and talk with you, gentlemen, when it's not just two people spouting off what they think they know and they can do, but proof is in the pudding, as the, as the old adage goes. And I'm looking at your Amazon page. There's the proof. You have 13 people who have, in this case, not only read it, but decided to make a comment on it on Amazon. And they've given you rave reviews. And I would imagine that most of these people are in the business, okay? They're like us. They're, they're firefighter paramedics or firefighter medics, firefighter EMTs. Makes no difference. Uh, very few of us ever went, uh, jumped from kindergarten to paramedic school. Most of us went first aid and, and, and EMT on, on our way to that, to that goal. But to read these titles of the reviews, I think, says so much about the value that your colleagues are finding in the book and certainly more than justifies all the effort and thought that you guys put into putting this book together. Because again, it's not a tome telling people, do this our way, you better do it this way, or if not, you're wrong. You're, if you're not doing it this way, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Many authors are ready to do that. They think that their book may not win a Pulitzer, but it's going to teach everybody how to do operate in that field. Well, this yours is not like that. Your book is a down-to-earth book teaching people how to be the best first responder they can be. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because one of the precepts that I tell people all the time that I'm training is, when I'm setting expectations for them, which is extremely important if you're a preceptor is to set clear expectations. I say, don't ask me what I would do on a call. If you want to give ketamine, if you want to give fentanyl, if you think that we need to give Effie, if you, whatever it is, don't ask me what I would do because what I would do is irrelevant. What you need to know is what you would do. How are you interpreting this? And what would you do? Don't ask me what I would do because I'm not going to tell you. Now, obviously, I keep you within the bumpers for safety and for patient care, but it's not about what I would do. It's about what you'll do. 
And how do we develop that? And you can never develop that if all I do is give you mother may I, and I, I, I like to call them uh, little treats. If I give you a little treat every time you ask me, what are you going to do? All you learn is that you like treats and that I'll give them to you if you ask me. And you never learn a decision-making process and you never have built any sort of confidence that you can make those decisions on your own. So it's funny you say that. Yeah, it is. It, I was just wrapped up training another gentleman who's a, who's a new medic. And it took him about seven shifts with me to realize that what I was actually doing is I, I told him every day, I'm giving you the freedom and the liberty to make decisions. I need you to be making decisions. And it took him about seven or eight shifts. And once he realized that I was actually saying, I want you to start making decisions. His development was unbelievable to sit back and watch this guy who's brilliant. I mean, his clinical understanding was far greater than mine. He was so brilliant. And then to watch him take that and begin implementing and decisions and making um, treatment plans and implementing them and just delegating and communicating it was it was really pretty awesome to sit back and watch and that's what's one of the cool things as preceptors is we get to learn so much from the people that we're trying to develop and the people that we're molding and training it's pretty awesome to sit there and create a situation where you can really have somebody be successful and really blossom into a successful paramedic or first responder and it's a real privilege to be a part of that, I think. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's always it's always seven shifts for me too, and I'm training a guy right now, and it took him seven about seven shifts right out there, and then we were on a call. Uh, this was a couple weeks ago, and he looked up at me and he's like, "Go get the fentanyl." Oh, that's okay. what it always is. Like, too, that's the it? way it always goes. And I'm like, oh, okay. He finally gets it. Uh, I don't want him to know what I will do. He finally understands. Just make a decision, dude. Yeah. And and now he's going through the roof with his understanding and his confidence, confidence, and his delegation skills, his communication skills, his interpersonal skills, his leadership skills. All of these things go through the roof when you do that. But the 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 caveat to this is that if you're going to do that, if you're going to train someone that way. You cannot kick their legs out from underneath them when you do it, because then they're going to lose. You lose all credibility. Very because true. Because you can't say, you can't say, oh yeah, 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 you have the liberty to act. You have the liberty to do what it is that you want to do. If you want to get fentanyl, then get fentanyl. And then when they ask you, when they say, hey, go get the fentanyl, you can't turn around and say, nah, no, I think we're good. Right. That's that's not. You can't do. You're kicking their legs out from under them, and Very now you lost all credibility. And now you're stunting their growth. So, but it's funny that Chris says that because in my experience, it's always, it's like seven shifts, man. And then they finally <laughs> realize they're like, they're like, Oh, Sam actually isn't lying about when he says, just, just go ahead and, and execute your treatment plan. He's actually not lying. He actually doesn't want me to ask him what I would do. Right. And then really, really start to grow quickly. Well, I think one of the other things that needs to be mentioned as when you said why you cannot tell somebody what to do is because we're all operating on with different SOP and SOGs of our, de, of our departments. 
So yeah, there's no absolutely. way that one that one set of paramedics in one community can write a book and tell you what you should do in each situation that you run up against because it may not fall within the parameters of your SOPs or your SOGs. So all you can do is speak from your experience what you've seen and make recommendations of how to think through and how to find the logic in what you do and then temper that logic with your humanity because nothing that we do, nothing that we do as firefighter EMTs, firefighter paramedics, nothing that we do comes without touching at least one other person. So if we don't maintain our humanity when we're doing what we do, whether it's taking somebody, rushing somebody to the hospital who's had a, had a cardiac incident, or you're putting a fire out in somebody's house, don't start th- swaggering around because of what you did, because I used that smoothbore nozzle, and I put it right through that second floor window, and I'm just, you know, that's what you guys got to start learning to do now. You guys don't do that. You're right. giving the the round concept, that round field of this this is the area that we work in, and these are the ways that we can work better in those fields. But we're not telling you what to do because we don't know what your SOG is in your department. We don't know what the SOP is in your department in North Carolina or yours up in Spokane. So we're just giving you the ideas to help you grow into a better professional. But remember, no matter what we're telling you, it's all has all has to be tempered by your humanity. Because you could be the greatest paramedic in the world. You could be the greatest neurosurgeon in the world. And we've seen this. But if you don't have the humanity to go with it, you're a doctor who does his work and goes home alone. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think you're right. And, you know, Steve, you touched on something that I think is important is that this book is not – well, you, you said it. This book is not designed to – teach specific guidelines or protocols. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't even address that. But what it does do is it gives people tools to develop their own decision-making pro- pro- decision-making progress and decision-making process within their own guidelines and within their own right. community and what, how they function within the parameters that they have to function within. Sure. And that's, that's, something that's unique about the book as well yeah we talk about in the book we talk about this idea of in order to do that because i can't know what i can't know what they do up in spokane washington or in uh you know alabama or wherever it is but what i can know is that you need to develop the idea of we specifically talk about in the book called leaders intent you have to know what the intention of your medical directors are. Right. You have to know what the intention of your of your medical division of your fire department or EMS agency is. What is their intention? Well, you can go figure that out. And if you can figure that out, then you can understand how to work freely within their guidelines that they have proposed for you. And that's really how you develop yourself. And that's that's a really good starting place is to understand the leader's intent that's in, that's in front of you. And then you can act liberally within that intention. Very true. And that's and that's the way it works. And, and the fact is that you guys have already expressed the fact that, like me, 
you guys are perpetual learners. You're always seeking to learn more. You're not satisfied with what you have. You're comfortable with what you know and what you do, but you're always looking to absorb more. And I've, and I've said, I've written a couple of articles published in the trades that education and the, that hunger to learn, that passion for learning and the hunger to learn is the only way you're going to grow as a competent and professional first responder. If you go through your one Absolutely. class, if you go through your one class and you get accredited and that's it, you get on the job and you do your job, well, you'll probably have an okay career and you'll probably make your time. God willing, you'll be okay. You'll be safe. We, we know what the cancer scourge is doing in the fire service now. And there are many of us who are working to get that education material out and, and talk about that. But it's, it's a different situation uh, just to get through life. Most of us don't well, want to just get through it, life. We want to excel at what we do. Absolutely. And not to impress and other people. We want to do it because it's for us. We want to impress ourselves that we've we've accomplished something else. We've climbed another rung. Uh, right. It's like the first time you had to climb the the uh, the tower ladder. The first time you had to go right. up that ladder. It's one thing going up a 12-footer. It's another thing going up a 35-footer. But when you're climbing the 75 or the 100-footer, or you're going up in that bucket that first time, okay, most of your orifices are pretty close, are closed pretty tightly, let's say. Yeah, okay? they are. Right. And, and you, can go, you can do that. And listen, the first time you start an IV... Even though you've been released, you've passed your test, the first time you're in the field and you're going to start an IV, don't be surprised if your hands are shaking. They should be. They should right. be just that little bit. Because that tells yourself, I need to be a little bit more careful. And, and what I'm hearing from the two of you and from the description of your book is that this is, you share that same passion. You want to, you want to learn more and you're willing to pay it forward and help teach what you've learned and again we're not talking about specific uh practices we're talking about to do the job to be a paramedic firefighter or a firefighter paramedic whichever whichever way you want to be looked at that you are willing to continue to learn and grow you're not you don't have to be a, uh, aspire to be an officer or a chief you just may aspire to be the best that you can be in what in what you're doing and there's nothing wrong with that. It's because you have that passion for education that's important and to learn. And you have to be willing not just to learn, but you have to be willing to pay it forward. And you guys well, are doing I think that. Right. I, we've got, I think that what's cool about that mentality, too, is that it silently liberates others to do the same. Exactly. And they see that. I can tell you from my from my personal experience on the fire department with Carlos Springs Fire, we have a we have a a lot of a lot of people in this department that are outstanding, and we've got a couple guys that they came up with a whole a whole way of doing things, and they and they are some amazing um, firefighters that we have here at Station Eight at in Colorado Springs, and they have their irons and ladders guys. Mm -hmm. and they have 
single-handedly developed me as a firefighter. But, but what I tell, what I told one of the guys is that the most beneficial thing that they've done is that when I was brand new as a firefighter, they taught me all these different skills, which are vitally important of forcing doors, how to throw a ladder, how to do a, conduct a search, how to, uh, what, what a VEIS is, why it's important. When do you do it? Reading smoke, how to read a building, how to read where the fire's going. They've done this very well and they have a, a very good articulated manner in which to do so. But what I've told them is that what's more beneficial is that they've liberated people to learn on their own and they've given people the idea that there is more and you can always learn more and you can right. always become better, become a better craftsman at what our job is so that when the, when the alarm bell goes off, you're more prepared at meeting the, meeting the call and answering the call. And so really early in my fire career here, those guys trained me and uh, I really took to heart what it is that they were teaching us in their uh, irons and ladders program. And it really affected me. And I was like, you know, I don't have the same level of understanding that those guys do when it comes to, when it comes to some of that stuff. So I'm going to learn from them, Right. but I can, I try to provide a good understanding when it comes to being a medic and when it comes to um, running uh, a, a nasty traffic accident with multiple patients and how to make good decisions with this stuff. And so I think that, it becomes liberating to know that other people are out there doing the same thing and it, and it encourages you to be better and it encourages you to want to be better. And so I think you're completely right. And I think that it, it is important for people to always want to try to learn and be better. And I think that when you have a couple people that are out there willing to put themselves out and willing to risk things and willing to expose themselves to ridicule, it really shows their strength and confidence in and in, in their confidence in their own abilities, and it encourages others to do the same. Very and true. I think it's really very true. And I, I completely agree with all of that. These, we're surrounded. We have such a great privilege to work for this department. We have such great individuals that work here. And, collectively the team here is great one of the things that we talk about in our book is this principle of humility and humility is an interesting concept when we think about it because humility really is the key to success as an individual and as a firefighter or paramedic because humility gives you the avenue to move forward when you become stagnant and complacent, your growth stops. And so if you conduct yourself with humility, you understand that there's always more to learn. There's always more knowledge to gain. There's always a better way of being able to maybe confront problems. And so when you move forward with this idea of trying to learn new ways and new concepts and new principles, and quite frankly, the fire service and EMS is constantly changing. The evidence-based medicine is moving forward at a rapid pace. And we as the providers in the field have to keep up to date with what is happening. And so you have to do that with a humble heart so that you can become better. And it also, humility is what causes you as an individual to reach the apex of your profession. It's what causes you to become the 
extreme professional and the extreme practitioner because you understand that there are things that you still need to accomplish and still need to learn. But once the great thing about humility is that once you become that apex professional, humility forces you to stay there. It forces you to stay on the top. Humility is the key to your knife's edge and your sharpness and your precision. Because once you're on the top, if you become complacent, you will fall and you'll fall quickly. But if you remain humble and you remain in this state of humility, you will remain at the top. It's what causes you to be sharp. And it's like I said, the, the foundation for your knife's edge. And so I think that humility is such a great avenue to success and it's the beginning point of your success. And that's why we as firefighters and paramedics and Sam and I really talked a lot about how we were going to set the stage for this book, Life and Death Matters. And the first principle that we establish is humility. Because when you move forward with humility and everything that you do, you become better at everything. When you start to focus your energy on learning and becoming better every single day, you will be. And something Sam mentioned, which is so awesome, is that that silently gives everybody else around you the liberty to become better themselves and the liberty to be humble themselves and go out and train and go out and do all of the things that are so important in our profession. So anyhow, I thought I'd mention that as far as this idea of learning and this idea of always becoming better. I think the key is moving forward with humility. Exactly. Very good point. You know, there's a lot of talk. If you guys you know follow the, the chatter on Twitter and, and Instagram, there's a lot of talk about the millennials who are coming into the fire service now. And there are a lot of people with experience saying, oh, these kids don't know anything. They have no hand skills, you know, stuff like that. Well, you know, the fact is when I wound up becoming a volunteer firefighter, it was by chance. It was not something I I had aspired to. I had respected and admired firefighters from the time I was seven years old, and I visited the vast majority of firehouses in eastern Massachusetts. And whenever I've traveled over the past 50, 60 years, I have always tried to go to a firehouse when I'm there, even before I was a firefighter and then when I became one. But when I did go to joined this department, I had no idea of how to do anything to do with fire. I could use a hand tool. I could use screwdrivers, hammers. I could do things like that, but that was it. I couldn't change the oil in my car. I could put gas in, but I never had to because it was a station around the corner from my house, and my dad always paid for the gas. So he said, just tell George I'll pay for it when I come home from work tonight, and I stop in to fill up. So if and, and I was lucky enough to find two out of the three mentors, the, the, the caretakers who worked there. They were the 24-on, 48-off guys. And they were, there to, they were hired there to get the first course to make sure the first piece of apparatus got out okay. And the rest of us were volunteers. Um, and they took me under their wing. They saw that I was interested. I wanted to learn more. And every time I was down there, if one of them was on duty and most of the day work had already been done, they would take me aside and they would start showing me stuff. They'd help me learn what was in each each cabinet in, in the engine, uh, what was in each cabinet in the pumper, in the uh, in the uh, tanker, uh, what was it, each cabinet of the snorkel, and, and 
you know, we had foam on that one. So, yeah, I learned how to do the foam. And they taught me everything, including, yeah, they taught me how to even change my own oil. Did they baptize me first? Sure. He didn't tell me to move my face out of the way of the plug, so I undid the plug and I got a mouthful of oil, auto oil. Big deal. But I learned, and they helped make me a better a better person and, at the same time, made me a better firefighter. And then, because we ran many calls with the with the e- county EMS, I got to know a bunch of the paramedics and EMTs there, and we hit it off. And eventually, there was an opening in my last year down in North Carolina. EMS called me and said, there's an opening at Base 3 for a fill-in. We'd like you to be the fill-in. We'd like to hire you to be the fill-in. And eventually, and I yeah. did, and I loved it, and I loved it. And eventually, they have even offered in-house they taught me to what was called in north carolina then emt2 which today is basically a paramedic but uh they offered me a job full-time that they would put not only would they give me a full-time job as to start as an emt they would put me through paramedic school and they would pay me a salary pay me benefits unfortunately the salary was almost half of what i was already making uh, where I was working, but the fact that they offered that to me meant so much yeah. to me that I said, my goodness, in four years, I went from somebody who just knew basic first aid from the Red Cross and advanced first aid from the Red Cross, and then I became a volunteer firefighter, and I became an EMT, and I got upper-level training for an EMT, almost a paramedic level, and I said, you know, what an opportunity that life and God have given me. You know, to, to do this and to help people. And and so I, I'm hoping that a lot of these kids who, because listen, I'm 67 years old. Everybody's a kid to me. Um, but the kids who are, who are considered millennials and they're coming into the fire service now, I hope they're going to be welcomed and given an opportunity, given the chance to learn. You can't just take a kid and throw him out the door because he doesn't match your skill set when you walked in the door. And you're, you guys right. are saying this. You've said it in the book and you've said it in this, in this interview today. That you, everybody has the opportunity, if they're ready to grasp it, to learn and grow and make themselves better, improve themselves. Nobody has to be stagnant if they don't want to be. There are plenty of opportunities in your department, in your community, in your region, and of course, nationally, of conferences and workshops that you can go to to learn more about being about fire tactics, about EMS tactics and thoughts. Anything that we do, there are classes all around, all around this country, right. in every state, in every community, every region where you can learn. All you have to do is say to yourself, I got to find out when the next class is and what it's going to be on. And I want to go. And what might? And that's my, one. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I completely agree. And that was one of the things that Sam and I had ideas about when we wrote this book. And also, one of the things that we're going to continue to do as we move forward is sort of have these classes available, to people, and really put on some lectures and some symposiums of leadership development, professional development, personal development in this world of EMS and firefighting. And so I think that the opportunities are always there and you have to be willing to 
take advantage of what's in front of you to become better, you know? Right. And, and don't blame it on the other people. If there's a conference and you choose not to go, that's your, your choice. Don't say that they, they weren't there to teach. They, they showed up. They t- showed up for a class. Don't use them as an excuse of why you don't, you don't want to learn. You have, yep. to, you have to, you know, this is a gut check. You have to decide, do I want to improve myself and make myself the best that I can be? Not better than anybody else, just the best that I can be. And if you want to do that, people like you and thousands of other great people in this field that we love so much are willing to go the extra mile to help people learn more about the job that we do and that we love to do. You just have to be open to learning more. Yeah, it's all about, it's it's much more about attitude than it is about anything else. Exactly. That's it. That was great. That, That's it. Attitude. Yeah. And I think that one of the, one of the things that I talk with people about and teach is that the biggest thing that you have to have is conviction. If you lack the conviction of what it is that we do as firefighters, first responders, if you lack the conviction that when there's a rip and structure fire and you need to VEIS the back, the back side because the egress is blocked, if you lack the conviction that that actually needs to happen, you're never going to train on it. Right. You're not going to know how to do it, and you're not going to be able to do it with any confidence. And, and the, exact same, the, the exact same thing goes for a chest painter or a cardiac or not you showing my family member needs you right. because you're not going to be you're not going to be dialed in i want the guy that is convicted of the fact that he needs to know how to throw a 24 foot ladder to get to the back charlie side and beis my uh family member's bedroom window right because i know that he's trained on it i know he's trained on it and i know he knows how to do it and that's the guy i want doing it exactly and that's the guy that i want training me on how to do it right and so we, we do the exact same thing with medicals. And if you lack the conviction that you're supposed to be doing something, you're never going to get better. And you're never going to really uh, affect people and affect their lives in a, in a positive way. Very true. Very true. So listen, before we wrap it up, I'm going to tell you right now, when you guys start running your conferences, even if they're just local, Please send me an email. Let me know when and where they're going to be, and I'm going to put them on one of the, you know, I'll just advertise it on the podcast for you. Let you know. Let people know about it. Oh, we we have one set up already, Steve. Okay. When's that going to be? We're doing a, what's that? When's that going to be? On on May 11th of this year. May, May 11th. 11th. We're, uh, we're being hosted by a, uh, fire department in the Denver metro area to do a a day-long symposium on professional development and and sort of elaborate on some of the things we've been talking about today. Okay, great. Professional development. Okay. And then, so next, uh, where can people, if they want to either write to you or find out about this or they want to write to you guys, what's a good email for uh, our listeners to reach you at? Best email is going to be info at field-medics.com. Info Info at field. field. Yep. Info at field-medics.com. And you can find, and that's that's the quickest email for us. 
and our link to our website is field-medics.com. Right. And you can a quick link to the book there, and you can also search it on Amazon. It's it's on Amazon oh, as yeah. well. It's you can a, find one. You can find it on Facebook and Instagram where we're kind of we're elaborating on some of the things we talked about. We've got a blog that we do on our website Great. that we're always sort of adding to, and we sort of slowly develop and articulate these thoughts and new new things that are coming out. And sure. so we encourage all the people and everybody to take a take a listen to those and read those sorts of things. Well, we're going to put I'm sorry, we're going to we're going to put your uh put you guys on our guest page on our website and we're going to put the links there for our listeners so they can after they listen to the podcast, they can go right to your guest uh your guest uh, insertion there and they will have uh read more about you guys a little bit and then they'll be able to get the links to the website and to the uh, and to the email as well to contact you, gentlemen. I can't thank you enough for for taking the time. I know what a busy schedule you guys are working on since we first talked about this. It's been uh, helter skelter for for both of us. This was a great podcast, and you've provided such wonderful information, not just specifically about the book, but about your whole attitude and philosophy towards doing this job that we do. It's it's refreshing. I think you guys are still relatively young, at least as far as I go. It's really refreshing and a pleasant, I'm not going to say surprise, but it really was it's pleasant to hear people so dedicated to the philosophy of what we do as opposed to the, the trolls on social media who are always telling you, you know, you don't do it the right way. We, we do, my department, we do it this way, and we're better than anybody else. Ask anybody in the country. They'll tell you we're the best. But you guys aren't saying <laughs> yeah. that. You know, you guys are just saying, listen, it's not what we do that's important. It's the mindset of who we are for the job we do. Anybody can be taught certain skills. Most most people can be taught certain skills. That doesn't mean they're going to be good at them. It definitely means, probably means they're not going to be great at them. But if they don't, to, con- to continue either to practice and or to continue to learn, then those skills and their ability to perform them start slipping away. And you're, what you're sharing in the book and with us, our discussion today is it's about you first, who you are as a professional and your attitude that you come to the job with. And I think that people who listen to this and who are going to read the book after this, I think they're going to see the same thing. And I look forward to, to having the opportunity of reading it as well. Uh, even though, you know, I've been out for 35 years, that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. This is something I'm interested in because, as I said, I continue to love to learn. And you guys yeah. have such a refreshing attitude towards this. Uh, well, I, thank you, Steve. I really wish you every bit of success that you truly deserve because you deserve it. Not only are you doing wonderful things for the, the, the residents, the citizens, the, the visitors to Colorado Springs, 
Sam, you're doing the wild wildland stuff as well. You're both on this. You have specialty teams that you guys are working. You you didn't just say, okay, I'm going to ride the bus and I'll ride the engine today. I'll ride the bus tomorrow. It's not that. You guys have gone out for special extra certifications with specialty teams and stuff like that. That shows the passion that you have and the love you have for the job you're doing. That's got to be contagious. It has to be contagious. Well, thanks, Steve, for those comments. That's real kind of you, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's been a really awesome time talking with you and chatting about stuff. Thank you so much for having us on your show. It's it's my yes, pleasure, dude. but this yes. will not be the yes. only time. You guys have an open invitation to come back anytime you're ready. All you have to do is okay. send, me, send me an email, and you'll be back you on the it. show. All right? So my sincere thanks to Chris and Sam Adams from Colorado Springs Fire Department with a great podcast today. If you've missed any of it, just download it, re-listen, listen again. You don't want to miss it. This is a, one of, I think this, I really see this is one of the best podcasts that we've been able to provide to our listeners. And again, well, thanks so much. Well, it, I'm just talking from my heart. Okay, I'm just talking from my heart, from what I've, I've learned about you guys and what you've, we've talked about today. Thank goodness, I've, one of the things I have been given is a, being a good judge of people. And I know the two people I'm talking with now. I have a very good feeling about the two people I'm talking with now. And I'm happy for the, the, everybody in Colorado Springs who you folks, you and your comrades protect every day. I look forward to learning, hearing more about you. I want to see you guys you know, written up in the trades and the news articles coming across on social media as well. And uh, look forward to you know a couple of months having you guys back on and letting me know where your conferences and all your teaching has gone since the book came out. And who knows, they might, by that time you might have a volume two out and about. So you, never know. Know, you never know what life's going to bring, right? You so, never know. Okay, so my sincere thanks to Sam and Chris. Folks, we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Remember when you were a young boy or girl and someone bullied you or teased you? Where did you most often turn to? Like many of us, you turned to your family. If you're a first responder, you probably no longer worry about those childhood problems, but there are plenty more that can affect us. Lack of sleep, the tragedy and horror we often see, even life's everyday stumbling blocks like family illness, money and job problems and more. So where do we turn now? 
Your gut reaction might be to keep it to yourself and not tell anyone about the hell you're going through. However, that's not going to help you or anyone else. Instead, you could start with your second family, someone you work with at the firehouse, on the ambulance, or at the station house. You spend a lot of time with them, don't you? And most of them understand many of the problems you're dealing with. Reach out to a coworker or an officer you trust. Speak to clergy of your house of worship. But don't keep it inside, gnawing away at you. That's not good for you or anyone around you. Know that there are people who stand ready to listen to you and help you without passing judgment. Remember, to carry out your oath to protect life and property, the first life you have to care for is your own. This message is brought to you by this podcaster. He's been there and done it. Hi, this is Steve. If you're a regular listener to the program, you know that every once in a while I insert a little brief editorial, and this is the one for this podcast. If you're a regular listener also, you're probably aware of one of the new key topics that we've been addressing, which is the situation for emergency workers who are on scene at an emergency on an active roadway, and then that scene is crashed into by distracted drivers or, for whatever other reason, drivers just plow right into the scene. Uh, We've had a couple of podcasts about it uh, in in the last couple of months. We are actually now working on a panel podcast where we're going to have several uh, guests on a, as I was getting ready to do all this editing for this podcast, that a good friend of mine uh, who lives up in a little further north part of the state of Florida, who is an outfitter, an out, outfitter, and he uh, puts in, sells and installs emergency lights in vehicles, tow trucks, etc. And we were talking about, and he regularly listened to the podcast, and he says he has listened to this uh, blocker program discussion so much now that it's a part of his life. It is very, very important to him. It is so important to him that he made me this promise or offer to me to put on the podcast. If you are a department, a fire department, that is looking to create a blocker program for your department and your community, and you need lights for a blocker vehicle, maybe an arrow light, whatever, you need some sort of lighting for your blocker vehicle. No, this is not for volunteers driving their personal vehicles. This is not for a regular municipal to outfit all their vehicles. No, this is particularly for a blocker program, whether you're using an old fire apparatus or using a truck from DPW, wherever you got your vehicle. If you're going to need some lighting for that vehicle, my friend Nick is so connected now to this topic, that he is willing, upon with a letter from the chief of the department, he is willing to provide those lights to the department at cost. That's right. He will sell those lights to you at his cost because it is so important to him. And by the way, I should say that my friend Nick is also a former law enforcement officer. So he's seen this. He knows what this is about. 
And I think that's why he connected to it so readily and quickly. So again, if you're listening to this, and if you're not a chief officer, take it to, to your chief. If you are working on a blocking program and you need some lights to help you outfit your blocker vehicle, you can contact me directly, Steve Green, at dalmatprod.outlook.com. From the chief, send me an email. I will, in turn, send that over to Nick, and I'll turn it over to Nick, and then the discussion will be between the chief and Nick. I'm out of it at that point. I'm just playing matchmaker here. So please, don't. if you have a vehicle that you could use, please don't hesitate. This is a great opportunity to, to afford you the opportunity of getting some type of emergency lighting that you need for your blocking vehicle at cost. No markup whatsoever at cost. And that's because Nick sees how important this is. If you haven't also, if you haven't already visited the website respondersafety.com, please do. They have courses there you can take online. They have topics that you can read about this blocking problem and the and the terrible toll. Matter of fact, in uh, yesterday's email, or maybe today's, I received an email of another recovery worker, a tow truck operator, who was struck and killed. I believe it was in Mississippi. This has got to stop. And the only ones who can stop it are us, the emergency workers. We can't leave it to the public because they're the ones who are killing us. We have to take the bull by the horns, and we have to set this, these programs up ourselves in our communities. So again, please, if you need help, you have a blocking vehicle, but you need you know, to get some lights for a vehicle that very well may be you know, hit by a semi or another car, you don't want to invest a thousand, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, but this is an opportunity for you to get great emergency lights at cost, at dealer cost. So drop me a line at dalmatprod.outlook.com. We'll connect you with Nick and the department, and Nick will take it from there and hopefully put a deal together, get a blocker out on that highway, and help save and preserve the life of all the emergency workers. And that's all the emergency workers. It's the firefighters. It's the police officers. It's EMS workers. And it's recovery operators. Okay? All of those lives can be hopefully saved with more blocking programs. We need them. There's no doubt about it. That's proof. It's, it's given. It's done. We know we need these programs in communities that deal with emergencies on act, active roadways. And by the way, we're not just talking about interstates. We're talking about four-lane four active roadways, two in each direction. Sometimes we're talking about country roads, one lane in each direction. But the problem is not the roads. The problem lies with distracted drivers. I haven't come up with a way to get past them yet. But at least we can work to protect all our emergency workers who put their lives on the line to help us when we need it at an emergency on the roadway. So please, Steve Green, write to me at dalmatprod at outlook.com and we'll do the best we can to help you out. Please stay safe and stay well. And that's 
my view. Every year, over a million fires burn in America. Fortunately, firefighters are on the job, saving life and property, and you can be a part of it. Seven out of 10 firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Your community needs you. Are you ready to answer the call? Learn more and find local volunteer opportunities at makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. We'd like to thank our guests, Chris and Sam Adams, for joining us to discuss their book, Life and Death Matters, and their careers as firefighter paramedics. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training LLC and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nestor Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod at outlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatprod or at cause underscore origin and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatprod or dalmatprodfire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, And let's make sure everybody goes home.